Hello and welcome to another episode of The Neutrinos Are Mutating, the science and film podcast from Manchester Metropolitan University where we explore the science fact in science fiction. I'm Sam Illingworth. And I'm James Redfern. And in this episode we'll be looking at the 1927 film Metropolis, directed by Fritz Lang and brought to us by Universum Films. After that very insightful um, trailer bed... Yeah, a bit of music there. You can, you've probably gathered that Metropolis was 1927. It's a silent film. Yeah. It's a silent film in German, yeah. which means that when the cards come up yeah. explaining so what's when going there's, on... When, when there's a few words, they, you have no idea what they're saying anyway. It's also three hours, Yeah. the, the original cut, give, give, or, give or take. Yeah. There's quite a lot going on in the film, isn't there, James? Do you, right. want, do you want to try and give us a brief synopsis of what's going on? Um, I will. I'll be. I'll be very brief, um, because as you say, it's just a li- just a little bit crazy. So basically, it's set, it's, as I say, it's in 1927. So it was a, a very old movie, um, but it's set in the future, and it's in the future of now as well. So it's like 2027, is it? 2026. I 2026. Think, yeah. um, so not that far away from where we are now, but you know, a good hundred years from where they were, uh, and. Essentially, society has evolved, so there are two layers of people. There are the people who live above ground in these uh, high-rise buildings who are people of leisure and, you know, living the high life. But there is a group of people who live in the underground kind of uh, workhouses who are control um, making all these machines work, which basically cr- allows the world up above for the rich to live. So these uh, kind of poorer elements of society are... Are running the rest of the um, yeah they're, they're, they're not running the world but they're powering the world so the rich can enjoy it basically, um, and there comes a point where um, so the poor or worker type people uh, have a so called leader called Maria, who she wants to kind of get in touch with the upper world and she wants to kind of join them together and she doesn't want this divide anymore. Uh, which makes you know a lot of sense. She wants to kind of bring the world together again, um, and I think so. What I've got written down here is that she believes the heart would be necessary between the brains and the muscle. So the muscle is the the workhorse, and the the uh, brains is the rich people. I think, which is, and they need to create the heart. Yeah, yeah. yeah and they, so it's all very you know um, says it all really. I think about this very film. symbolic. Yeah, it was very especially for nineteen twenties. Uh, so anyway, then um, Maria meets this guy called Frieda Friedersen. Uh, and he's the son of the guy who built the metropolis, the city that, that it's based in. Um, and they obviously fall in love, as people do. Um, but at that time, the guy who built the place, Jonathan, his name is Jonathan Friedison, uh, he decides that he wants to get rid of these poor people or kind of punish them in some way. So creates this robot version of Maria, um, False, false Maria, false Maria. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the catchy name, um, to basically start a revolution to undermine the, this this working class. So it's a uh, it's like a love story with a robot, basically. <laughs> a love a love story with a robot is a very <laughs> a very apt <laughs> summary of a three hour film. Yeah, and it takes you through the motions, I think. It, it does. And we're going to be talking in a bit to Professor Tom Jeffries, who's the head of Manchester School of Architecture. Mm-hmm. About his about his thoughts on the film because the role of the architect 
it's Fredderson. Yeah. It's very confusing because there's Fredder and then there's Fredderson. Yeah. One's the father, one's the son. But yeah. Fredderson, who you'd think would be the son, is actually the father, um, which is very, very confusing. And the role yeah, of the architecture, the role of the architect is paramount in this film, isn't it? And oh, I yeah. think it's it's looking at the architect as being this like all-powerful well, being, he really. Built the city, you know, he's the kind of the god of this world. Exactly. He's in charge and he's... And hopefully we'll get we'll get the chance um, now to talk to Tom about what that means and the realities yeah, of that. Because if you think about it now, you know a lot of cities, particularly where we are now in Manchester and most cities around the world, they have evolved out of necessity. They are not planned. So it's only, I suppose, places like Milton Keynes that I can think of in the UK yeah. that were more planned planned cities. Um, so it would be interesting, really, to to how you would even think about planning a city or retrospectively what you would do and adapting the city that we have to make way for the yeah because future. of course it's adapt. It, it, it was places get built on the, the time and the needs at the time and that changes you know if we were to have flying cars now you know it, it, the road system wouldn't be wouldn't be great for that so yeah it's, it's a very interesting um, thing to think about really You can find out more as well as previous episodes at tnampodcast.com. So we're joined in the studio now by Professor Tom Jeffries, the head of Manchester School of Architecture here at Manchester Metropolitan University. Hi, Tom. Hi. So, Tom, you're you're involved in, in the City Verve project as well? Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, can you tell us that one. A, a little bit about that and your research in general? Okay, uh, City Verve is a £10 million smart cities demonstrator project, which Manchester won in competition with 34 other cities uh, across the UK, so we're very happy about that. Um, essentially, we're, we're asking the question, um, what does what does a smart city look like? How do you know you're in a smart city? So what does smart space actually look and feel like? And when you're in a smart space, what could it do that you can't do in normal space? Um, and there are very interesting interconnections between what will be conceptualised as normal space, I suppose, and smart space. So part of what we're doing here at the uh, university is actually working out what that looks like for real, rather than just as a hypothetical. And how 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 would you define a smart city? I mean, I know that's a bit of a ended uh, question. Uh, um, well, there are different visions of smart cities. Some of which you just want to shoot yourself. <laughs> go there. Um, the, the, the the what we're working towards here is a, is a is a place where serendipity can happen, mm. um, where. Uh, things you would like to happen actually do happen and you can actually embellish and improve the experience of yourself, um, your experience of the city. So um, one of the things we're looking at, for example, is actually connecting the cultural offer uh, and the, the cultural activities of the university with citizens of Manchester in ways that actually make sense, are fun and engaging um, and actually reveal some of the great things that are going on here to uh, people who wouldn't normally uh, encounter them. Um, so a smart city, 
should be inclusive in that uh, people should be able to easily access its benefits. Um, it should be fun um, so that you can do things in it that will be difficult to achieve uh, under normal circumstances. But also it can also meet all the other agendas around energy, sustainability and so on and so forth, the kind of governance side of things. Because cities are essentially a mixture of functional space and cultural space and networks of people. Um, and we are actually looking at a balanced view that tries to connect these things together in ways that are sort of uh, novel, but also uh, work for citizens in general. We are currently working with uh, programmers and uh, the kind of uh, technological experts on delivering a project called the Manchester Plinth, which will be a real plinth with uh, augmented reality uh, representations of uh, parts of the university's special collections um, on it in the public realm, probably in the park somewhere. Um, the level of technology you should have, you should need to engage with the smart city, should be relatively low. Mm. It, it seems very much that you know this this planning of city verb is very much for all of the dungeons of Manchester. Like no matter what their background, no matter where where they sit, which is in stark contrast really to Metropolis. So to Fritz Lang's Metropolis, where there's an argument to be made that this this construction of this this city is for the benefit of the higher echelons of society, whilst those that maybe aren't quite so elite are the ones that have to do all of the, the hard labour, mm -hmm, all the manual mm -hmm, tasks mm -hmm, to make it the case. Mm -hmm. So do you see do you see City Verve as being the antithesis oh, of Metropolis? I, I, I think, well, Metropolis, OK. Um, it's interesting, Metropolis, isn't it? I've seen Metropolis uh, probably... 20 times that, that's, that's uh, 60 hours of viewing for okay. <laughs> um, uh, in lots of different locations I've seen it with a soundtrack by Queen I've seen it with uh, <laughs> a, a live free jazz band I've seen it with a pianist I've wow. seen it with a canned soundtrack I've seen it with an orchestra um, uh, it's a film that's worth revisiting I think the interesting thing about it as a film is obviously it's framed within the context of the 20s. The um, so, so it has that kind of Weimar feel to it, but also it has a, uh, a, ser a series of preconceptions that are based around um, kind of uh, developed 19th century motion, uh, notions of industrial capitalism, if you like. You know, So the kind of uh, workers and uh, elite are clearly kind of um, explored in the film. Um, the elite have a fantastic lifestyle uh, with lots of leisure, um, and the workers uh, toil away in uh, in kind of large, large factories. Now, I think the interesting thing about it is, of course, when the intersection between those two worlds mm. occurs, um, there is a role for technology. So, of course, the glamorous robot is... Uh, one of the key figures in the film, but also the way the film represents urban space uh, is interesting because it's both a kind of... Uh, it's a mirror through which early 1920s visions of urban space mm. can be seen. Um, so it embodies um, Manhattan, it embodies 
ideas of technology it embodies the whole thing around flying vehicles you know high-rise bridges multi-level kind of planning which is kind of modernist um, it embodies the um, uh, the kind of imagery um, which you see of American skyscrapers and so on but that has also gone on to um, kind of inform stuff that's happening now so it's a it's a kind of it's a kind of interesting filter through which things can be viewed and obviously directly informed films like Blade Runner in terms of its Mm. visual imagery Um, the kind of disruptive effect of technology I think is one of the interesting things uh, that the film starts to open up Um, so uh, you have kind of predictable technology, i.e. the kind of mechanisms that keep the city working, but you have disruptive technology, so this morphing, uh, uh, shape-shifting robot, you know. Yeah, false Maria. Yes, yeah. uh, which, you know, <laughs> now, now, does that relate to, to smart cities? Possibly, I suppose. Um, in imagery terms, I think there's, it's, it's very rich, you know, um, uh, and... I say it's one of these it's what it's one of the core kind of bits of uh cultural output of that part of the century undoubtedly in my view you know in terms of the the uh the ramifications the ripples that it's created mm. beyond that um the other thing is it's quite fun you know it's a film that you can kind of get into, yeah. except in the fact it's silent and the acting slightly you know <laughs> mannered and stuff um there's a lot in there you know. I mean, it is a fun film. Visually, it is absolutely stunning. Yeah. I think. I mean, what what what, re- what really interests me in that film as well, apart from the subjects that you've touched on, is where it places the architect. Hmm. And for me, as well as as well as um, Metropolis, it's the latest high rise film is reminiscent of hmm. this as well. Ben hmm. Wheaters High Rise, hmm. obviously based on the novel as well, of placing the architect as almost the godlike figure or like the president or the prime minister mm. it kind mm. of transcends politics mm. is mm. that is that somewhere you think is that somewhere you want to go tom is that well well it's interesting there's there, there, there is this uh mythology isn't there you know i'm reminded of the fountainhead which is another one of the sort of bonkers mm. films that's worth seeing um uh our view our view of architecture in the school here is that architecture is a collaborative process. So the architect's role is to uh, shape a kind of vision, if you like, but to bring people uh, together to realise something. Um, uh, The notion of the kind of all-powerful kind of puppet master style thing, I think that's a myth, Mm. frankly. Uh, (laughs) You know... um, the the making of architecture is a, is a process that requires um buy in from many many sides um and uh society has to want it at mm. some level whatever's made um the other thing about architects is they tend to be believe it or not uh people who are trying to make the world a better place mm-hmm. you know <laughs> there is a kind of there is a kind of social mission that says in general terms we want to make things better Mm. rather than just build monuments to ourselves um so 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 i think um it's worth debunking that slightly um the 
the the interesting thing around um, say the the engagement with well the whole approach we've taken towards the city verve project is about democratization mm. essentially it's about widening out uh, decision making and power bases mm. to include lots of people um, so that we get outcomes that are actually mm. more successful Absolutely. more engaged and so on now I still think that people want to see a a vision of what the future might look like. Mm. Um, and one of the things that architects, amongst other cultural professionals, are good at doing is framing what-ifs. Mm. You know, in a way, the training that the, the, um, students in architecture undertake is all about framing what-ifs by looking at what the situation is now, what the situation has been in the past, and what it could be in the future. Mm. Um, so it's a naturally projective thing. Uh, but am I a god? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this is really interesting because it has very clear parallels with 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 science as well. Yeah. In this movement movement towards, like you said, democratization and the passing of agency mm. onto society as mm. well, and helping them to drive it. Um, I've got one last question, Tom, that I uh, that I heard about that I'm intrigued to find more about, and this is magic stones. Oh right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I can talk about magic stones. Okay, we, we were having, we were looking at the early stages of the City Verve projects and looking at what to do with the park, um, and what does smart space look like? And we thought, well, maybe smart space looks like the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> right. uh, you know, maybe it doesn't look like an iPhone. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and and uh, one of the things about the Lord of the Rings, not that I like the Lord of the Rings, right? Don't get me wrong here. Um, <laughs> is that it has, I believe, got talking rocks in it. So that you can approach a rock and ask it a question and it will give you an answer. Um, talking trees as well. So it's the notion that things have magical properties mm. which technology can actually uh, equip you with. You know, So the ability to ask things, uh, ask questions of things. And this goes down to the whole thing around the notion of embedded technology and smart, you know. The vision, the ultimate vision of smart and the Internet of Things is that everything can talk to another thing. Mm -hmm. So you say, all right, then, what does a brick actually need to say? How intelligent does a brick need to be? And what is the question you need to ask it? And what does it actually need to say? And I think, so this is how we got around to the conversation around talking rocks. Okay. Because it might be that a rock does need to tell you something. But that thing might be quite simple, you know. Um, like the pressure that's being applied on well, it. Well, there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff. And this went down to, you know, kind of discussions around very simple forms of intelligent life. You know, so flatworms and things that can t things that can tell the difference between light and dark. Yeah. And that's about it. Um, now, those those organisms have been around for, for millions and millions of years. Uh, they're obviously quite successful. Um, the Internet of Things is a new invention you know decade old maybe um there is there is a kind of conceptual shift that needs to happen if things are talking to each other about what language they're talking and what they actually need to say and you know i think it'd be quite cool to have talking rocks in the park <laughs> I'm, like, like, rather than like asking Siri, I like this idea of just going up and asking a stone that's yeah. it yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's like the, in a 
Red Dwarf, where they go up to like the coffee machine, just have a conversation with the coffee yeah. machine. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be quite an unusual, but, tested, but yeah. not too uh, out of the mind kind of so, world. So if I walk past All Saints Park, Tom, and see you just talking to a rock, then we know that that's what. Well, we know that that's, that maybe that's what a smart city <laughs> looks like. I don't know, but uh, it is it is the ability of things to talk to each other. Fantastic, essentially. All right. Well, thanks very much for joining us, Tom. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Okay, thanks. This podcast is supported by Digital Innovation and the Faculty of Science and Engineering at Manchester Metropolitan University. Very interesting chatting to Tom there about the role of the architect, about Metropolis and about the City Verve project, which is this huge £10 million bid to you know envisage and develop Manchester as a smart city, along with Manchester Met, Manchester City Council, Transport for Greater Manchester, the University of Manchester, BT, Siemens, Cisco, Ordnance Survey... There's a lot of organisations that are involved. Yeah, in no, it must be forward. absolutely fascinating. So we've heard the the architects' view. I would be fascinated to hear a lot of these other people. BT, Siemens, Cisco. They must be the tech, you know the technology Looking at the infrastructure, helping yeah, develop the infrastructure as well. Incredibly, either frustrating or fascinating. Yeah, things. it's also going to be really interesting to see going forward what on earth the city is going to be like during the development process because as we speak now at the beginning of 2017 Oxford Road's an absolute nightmare oh, to yeah, traverse. the whole of Manchester yeah. all the roads are basically up you know but that's what so to make these changes it would be interesting to see yeah. what they do and at which point do we stop like I feel sometimes as though we're constantly upgrading yeah can you remember the last like it's really nice for example now Manchester the Central Library's finished like you can look at it and you can really appreciate it but it feels like we're just moving from one building work to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Yeah. It'd be nice to just stop and reflect. Well, I think places grow, don't they? And some places grow a lot quicker than others and, and the requirements of a city changes. So, it, yeah, no, it's hard. It's a hard, it's mm. a fine line, I think, is, and that's kind of what Tom was getting. That's a fine line between and progress and... There is the CityCast, which is a podcast from the City Verve group that talks to these people yeah. and gives a bit more information about the Internet of Things trials in Manchester. We'll put a link to that on our blog Certainly. so people can read that as well. So, James, Metropolis, 1927, three hours, German, silent. Good film, bad film. Good science, bad science. Um, so I would say... Uh, well, it's... It's a good film, I think. I think if you if you go into it knowing it's silent and it's in German and it's three hours long and you kind of have that in mind, yeah. If you sat down to kind of watch a, a more recent film, you'd probably be surprised as to what you're about yeah. to watch. But yeah, and I think um, it provides a stark but not that distant vision of where the world could end up, um, and kind of shows what we should try to avoid. So, uh, I think. Yeah, good, good film for what it is. And ref- remember, reflective science. It was interesting talking to Tom as well about the importance that heritage plays in architecture. Yeah. And I think it's the importance of heritage within popular culture as well. So if we look back to this film, like you say, I think if you're expecting a 90-minute blockbuster, it's James not, Bond, yeah, no, it's not that. But what it is is it's a very important um, piece of heritage yeah. you know, for, for early cinema, but also for capturing the mood in... Europe and the Western world at that time in Weimar Germany, mm-hmm. and also for cementing the ideas of what a future city 
might look like. And as Tom said, there are actually a lot of other films that have come after this that have been influenced by that. Um, Many of which we've covered in this podcast. Yeah, and I was very uh, happy to hear um, Blade Runner, Blade Runner which is our very first episode. Yeah. But um, also, and High Rise, which we, which we mentioned there as well, which although we've not really talked a lot about, uh, divides us in our opinions. Sam really likes it. I didn't find that <laughs> the best. But if you were to sit down and watch a 90-minute um, more recent movie that has a, a similar story. Any this film would, that has Tom Hiddleston effectively naked is a good film with me, James. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably one of the only, only positive points of Tom Hiddleston. Um, and well, he's a Sienna Miller's and there's a lot yeah. of famous people in that movie. But in, in uh, terms of Metropolis, though, we're saying it's 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 a very important film, I think. I think that is true to say. Yeah, I think so. And I think and, it, obviously there are um, parallels with with, with current thinking and current development now as well. Absolutely. So, thank you very much for listening to The Neutrinos Are Mutating. I've been Sam Ellingworth. And I'm James Ruffer. Goodbye. Goodbye. This podcast is supported by Digital Innovation and the Faculty of Science and Engineering at Manchester Metropolitan University. 